Hello everyone and welcome to the September 26th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A WCAB panel concluded that an injured worker injury while using a weed whacker was not a violent act required by the Labor Code for the Psychiatric Permanent Disability Add-on. In this case, Leslie Elizabeth McCain was employed as a laborer by Wallace Construction when she suffered an injury to multiple body parts, including her psyche, back in September 2014. She waited about one and a half months to seek treatment for her physical injuries and then told her first treating physician that the injury occurred when she was using a weed whacker, lost her footing, and hit her left elbow into a wall. And a short time later, she visited an urgent care facility where she gave a similar history of injury. She then provided various different versions as to how her injury occurred during subsequent doctor's visits between 2015 and 2017. By April 2022, the parties proceeded to trial, and one of the issues raised was whether or not the Violent Act exception, which allows additional permanent disability for psychiatric injury, applied in this case. She did not testify at trial, and the matter was submitted on the current record. The work comp judge found that McCain's psych injuries did not result from a violent act, and as a result, she was not entitled to an award of permanent disability for the psychiatric consequences of her physical injuries. Her reconsideration was denied in the panel decision of McCain versus Wallace Construction Incorporated. Applicant bears the burden of proving that her psychiatric injury resulted from either being a victim of a violent act or direct exposure to a significant violent act. Several panel decisions have followed the definition of a violent act for purposes of this labor code requirement as an act that is characterized by either strong physical force, extreme or intense force, or an act that is vehemently, vehemently or passionately threatening. Here the work comp judge <clears throat> found that applicant's psych injury was not compensable because the act of slipping and falling and being struck in the elbow by a weed whacker was not a violent act within the meaning of the statute. And the Work Comp Appeals Board panel agreed with the Work Comp judge. The panel noted that since applicant did not provide testimony at trial, it's unclear exactly how the injury occurred with so many differing versions. However, even accepting the version of events that were contained in medical reports, the force of this accident cannot be characterized as either extreme or intense. An applicant did not lose consciousness after her fall and kept working after the incident, and she fully expected her symptoms to resolve promptly. Applicants' injuries are instead akin to those that have been previously determined to be not the result of a violent act. The June 2022 U.S. Supreme Court decision in Viking River Cruises v. Mariana was a landmark decision in favor of California employers on the vigorously contested issue of the employer's right to agree to arbitration of 
labor code disputes with employees. But many employment law attorneys predicted that California appellate courts would limit Viking River in various ways and tip the scales back in favor of employees. A new California appellate case partially published this week may be the first case of potentially many that in that anticipated scale tip. In this news case, Eleni Gavriluglo brought a civil action against her former employer, Prime Healthcare Management. She alleged individual claims for damages based on several labor code violations such as overtime pay problems and meal breaks, and also a representative claim for civil penalties for labor code violations under the California Private Attorney General Act, known as PAGA, P-A-G-A. She had signed an arbitration agreement, so the trial court compelled her to arbitrate her non-PAGA claims and state her PAGA claim while she did. The parties jointly selected an arbitrator who found that the alleged labor code violations had not occurred. Based on the arbitrator's findings, the trial court in the civil action granted judgment on the pleadings in favor of the employer and against Garavaglu on her PAGA claim. The Court of Appeal reversed and held that the arbitration did not bar the PAGA claim because she was acting in different capacities and asserting different rights in the partially published case of Garavaglu versus Prime Healthcare Management. Garav Loglu made four arguments in her favor, including that the legal doctrine known as preclusion did not apply because she was acting in different capacities in the arbitration and in the litigation of the PAGA claim. The Court of Appeal did not discuss the other three issues she raised and said that this argument alone was dispositive of the case on appeal in her favor. Prime had cited the U.S. Supreme Court decision in Viking River Cruises, and in Prime's view, Viking River explicitly defines what is an individual claim, both on her own and under PAGA, as being similar. But the Court of Appeal disagreed and responded by saying their argument was mere wordplay. It went on to say that what the Supreme Court called an individual PAGA claim is not actually a PAGA claim at all. It would exist even if PAGA had never been enacted. It is what we're calling, more accurately, an individual labor code claim. The Court of Appeals said that according to the second restatement of judgments, a party appearing in a civil action in one capacity, individual or representative, is not thereby bound by or entitled to the benefits of the rules of res judicata in a subsequent action in which he appears in another capacity, and California follows this rule. In conclusion, the Court of Appeals said in the arbitration, Garavaglu was litigating her own individual right to damages for labor code violations, whereas in the present PAGA action, she is litigating the state's right to statutory penalties for labor code violations. It follows that the arbitrator's findings cannot have preclusive effect on the PAGA case.
And now our crime report. Federal prosecutors filed criminal charges against nine defendants, seven of them dock workers at the Port of Long Beach, who allowed more than $2.1 million in fraudulent claims to be submitted to their labor union's health insurance plan for sexual services or for physical therapy that was never provided. The conspiracy's ringleader, Sarah Victoria, who lives in San Pedro, was charged with conspiracy to commit health care fraud and aggravated identity theft. The plea agreement she filed and other eight defendants were filed in court and they are expected to make their initial court appearances in the coming weeks. According to her plea agreement, she owned and operated three businesses, Back to Life Wellness Center, LLC, and the Cairo Man Wellness Center, both based in San Pedro, and the Wilmington-based Waterfront Wellness Center, Incorporated. These companies offered patients chiropractic services, acupuncture treatments, and also sexual services. The dock workers had health insurance under the International Longshore and Warehouse Union Pacific Maritime Association benefit plan. This plan generally covered all chiropractic services with no deductible and without requiring plan members to contribute any copay amount or out-of-pocket services. She hired women to provide sexual services to dock workers at her companies and recruited them through referrals and from strip clubs in the Long Beach area. In exchange for obtaining sexual services for themselves and other friends, plan members authorized her to submit claims for chiropractic and physical therapy treatment that was not actually rendered. Sarah Victoria also agreed to her client's cash kickbacks from the payments she received. In total, she submitted about $2,111,000 in claims to the union plan. She now faces a statutory maximum sentence of 12 years in federal prison. And Cameron Rahm of Pico Rivera, a Long Beach longshoreman and union member, was also charged. He was allegedly one of the customers of Victoria's businesses and also allegedly lied to the FBI agents investigating this case when he denied allowing anyone to bill his health insurer for sexual services. A new law in California prohibits employer discrimination for off-the-job marijuana use. One of the 10 cannabis-related legislative bills signed this week by the governor included AB 2188, which might be a significant problem for California employers. After January 1, 2024, it will be unlawful for an employer to discriminate against a person in hiring, termination, or any term or condition of employment, or otherwise penalize a person if the discrimination is based on the person's use of cannabis off the job and away from the workplace, or to discriminate based upon an employer-required drug screening test that has found the person to have non-psychoactive cannabis metabolites in their hair, blood, urine, or other bodily fluids. The new law declares that after tetrahydrocannabinol is metabolized, 
it is stored in the body as non-psychoactive cannabis metabolite. These metabolites do not indicate impairment, they say, only that an individual has consumed cannabis in the last few weeks, and they have no correlation to impairment on the job. And there are several exceptions to the application of this new law. It does not prohibit an employer from discriminating in hiring or any term of condition of employment or otherwise penalizing a person based on scientifically valid pre-employment drug screening conducted through methods that do not screen for non-psychoactive cannabis metabolites but it does not specify what these allowable alternative screening tests might be. Employers will have slightly more than one year to discover this for themselves. And the law does not apply to an employee in the building and construction trades. And it does not apply to applicants or employees hired for positions that require a federal government background investigation or security clearance in accordance with regulations issued by the United States Department of Defense. California Norm L. was the sponsor of this new law, and supporters of AB 2188 included the California Cannabis Industry Association, the California Employment Lawyers Association, and other similar stakeholders. The legislation was opposed by a large number of employer-related organizations, including the California Chamber of Commerce, the National Federation of Independent Businesses, and many other groups. Governor Newsom also signed AB 1783, a law inspired by a $2 million bounty that was to be paid to influence the California Insurance Commissioner, Ricardo Lara, in a transaction involving a proposed sale of applied underwriters, a workers' compensation insurance carrier. The new law expands California's lobbying laws to limit this practice without disclosure. Companies and interest groups spend hundreds of millions of dollars each year to lobby lawmakers and the governor on issues related to proposed laws and regulations. Most of the money is subject to strict lobbying disclosure rules, including that people paid to lobby, register with the state, and that the companies that pay them file regular public disclosures. The newest controversy was triggered by an investigation by the Sacramento Bee, which revealed that loopholes allowed some companies to pay bounties called success fees to influence some decisions by state officials without having to publicly report the effort. A lawsuit by former California lawmakers Fabian Nunez and Rusty Arias revealed one such payment and provided details on how the scheme worked and came to light only because of this publicly accessible civil lawsuit. The former lawmakers who left public service for private consulting say they were hired on behalf of applied underwriters to convince the Department of Insurance to allow an acquisition deal which he must approve to proceed. If they succeeded, they say they were promised a $2 million bounty fee. If they did not succeed, they would not be paid, and the CEO of Applied Underwriters would lose a $50 million deposit 
he had made contingent upon the acquisition deal receiving regulatory approval. In its court filing, Applied Underwriters argued it does not owe Nunes or Arias any money because it did not meet the terms of their contract. <clears throat> Under existing law, lobbyists are prohibited from charging success fees for achieving a desired outcome for their clients. But because the work Nunes and Arias was not technically lobbying, they were able to negotiate a bounty fee and would not have to disclose it to the public. Once this was discovered, the scandal attracted much media attention and more litigation under the Freedom of Information Act by Consumer Watchdog, and ultimately to AB 1783, which claims to limit or put restrictions on this bounty practice. The Political Reform Act of 1974 was created by California voters when they approved Proposition 9 back in 1974. The new law expands the definition of administrative action under the Political Reform Act of 1974 to include any decision or approval by the insurance commissioner or the director of the Department of Managed Health Care. Both are required to approve certain transactions involving insurers and health care service plans. The California Department of Public Health is ending COVID-19 policies that required weekly COVID-19 testing for unvaccinated individuals in high-risk workplaces and schools, except when required to comply with federal requirements. The changes took effect Saturday, September 17th. Federal orders outlining testing requirements for skilled nursing facilities remain in effect and may require more stringent testing of staff. Healthcare workers must, however, continue to comply with all required primary series and vaccine booster doses. The new order also updates timing of required booster doses consistent with current CDC recommendations. Additionally, facilities must continue to track workers' vaccination or exemption status to ensure they are complying with these requirements. Facilities should maintain testing capacity at their work sites and have the ability to ramp up testing in the event of outbreaks or if it is required again at a future date. Nonetheless, public health leaders continue to urge all individuals to stay up to date on the COVID-19 vaccine to protect themselves from severe illness and slow the spread of the virus. The WCIRB has released the Interactive Industry Statistics 2022 edition. This report provides premium exposure and loss information based on unit statistical report data submitted to the WCIRB for policy years 2003 through 2019. In addition to policy year information, some loss information by accident year is also included. The report offers a spreadsheet-based user interface. This allows users to browse loss exposure and premium information and filter by data by month, American industry classification system sector, claim status, and claim type, and detailed instructions are included in the report. 
The report is available on the Interactive Industry Statistics page in the Research section of the WCIRB website. And in medical news, the WCIRB has also released its California Workers' Compensation Aggregate Medical Payments Trends Report, updated through calendar year 2021. This report compares medical payment information from 2019 through 2021. Key findings from the report show that overall medical payments per claim increased significantly, mostly driven by increase in payments per transaction and the increase in payments per transaction was largely because of the 2021 fee schedule updates to medical legal and evaluation and management services. Utilization of telehealth services continued to decline in 2021, but still remain at a much higher level than during the pre-pandemic periods. Office or other outpatient service procedures continued to grow, and are the fastest-growing physician service in 2021. Use of anti-inflammatory analgesics increased more significantly than any other therapeutic group. This report is available on the research section of the WCIRB website. Back in 2004, when Senate Bill 899 became law, the California legislature mandated the use of the AMA Guide's fifth edition to evaluate the level of permanent disability in California workers' compensation cases. The fifth edition was published by the American Medical Association back in 2001 and is now more than two decades old. The sixth edition was published in 2008, and there are now updates published electronically, such as the sixth edition 2021 and a sixth edition 2022. However, until the California legislature changes the labor code, the fifth edition remains the standard here in California, despite the fact that it is now 20 years outdated. According to a new report on this issue just published by the National Council on Compensation Insurance, there are a few states that not only require the use of the AMA Guide 6 edition, but also have provisions in place so users rely on the most recent version after it becomes effective. The statutes are nuanced, but such states include Alaska, Illinois, Louisiana, New Mexico, Tennessee, and Wyoming. Prior to the AMA Guide 6th edition going digital in 2021, the last update was in December 2007, and it bore 2008 in its title. The update from the 5th to 6th edition had several major changes impacting impairment ratings, with numerous states ultimately adopting the 6th edition. Now with the shift to digital, the AMA has changed the way it will update the AMA guides going forward. The AMA Guide 6th edition 2021, which became effective July 1st, 2021, represents the first updates to the AMA guide since 2007. And effective January 1st, 2022, the AMA considers the AMA guides 6th edition 2022 to be the most current version.
The AMA expects that the next version will be available online in 2023. Going forward, the AMA Guide 6th edition will be exclusively online and accessible by subscription only. The AMA has created the AMA Guide's editorial panel as a transparent process in which a broad spectrum of relevant professionals can consider, vet, and determine whether, when, and how the guide should be improved, enhanced, or revised. In addition, it will deliver timely enhancements to the AMA guides that reflect current evidence-based medical practice. Some topics being considered in future annual content updates are the inclusion of functional patient reported outcome measures and changes on how impairment ratings are determined for tinnitus, spinal injuries, and neurological injuries. And in other industry news, Next Insurance provides small business insurance with simple, digital, and affordable coverage tailored to small businesses and the self-employed. It offers policies that it says are easy to buy and provides 24-7 access to live certificates of insurance, additional insured coverage, and more with no extra fees. The company is headquartered in Palo Alto, California, and has received a total of $881 million in venture capital funding over the last several years. It is rated A excellent by AM Best and has been recognized by CNBC Disruptor 50, Forbes Fintech 50, Incorporated's Best Led Companies, and Forbes Best Startup Employers. The company just announced the launch of Next Connect for Intuit QuickBooks. It's an embedded insurance solution that provides customers with seamless access to digital first insurance products within the QuickBooks system. QuickBooks is an accounting software package developed and marketed by Intuit. QuickBooks products were first introduced way back in 1983 and are geared mainly towards small and medium-sized businesses and offer on-premises accounting applications as well as cloud-based versions that accept business payments, manage and pay bills, and payroll functions. QuickBooks is the accounting software of choice for more than 29 million small businesses in the U.S., and they have over 80% market share. Now, with Next Insurance QuickBooks integration, small businesses and accountants can obtain insurance quotes and bind coverage without leaving their QuickBooks account ecosystem. Additionally, users can benefit from Next's in-house pay-as-you-go offering for workers' compensation, consult with a trusted insurance advisor, as well as access multiple A-rated national carrier products, including Next products. The Next CEO said that the partnership with Intuit, Intuit QuickBooks enables the company Next to ease significant pain points for the small business community by providing easy to access and easy access to com, uh, customized coverage and payments directly tied to a company's payroll for their workers' comp policies, all without leaving their Intuit 
QuickBooks accounts. Next's pay-as-you-go offering was built in-house to provide small businesses with a convenient option to pay for their insurance as they go versus all the print preserving cash flow and reducing the likelihood of year-end audits. Next's pay-as-you-go offering now uses Stripe financial connections to link to a customer's bank account to automatically handle payments on an ongoing basis. Its customers benefit from being able to easily set up billing and having it run automatically along with their payroll. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Skarin, Manuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.